Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Wednesday, October the 25th, 2023. It is the 29th Wednesday in Ordinary Time, and our reading today is from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. Then Peter said, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, Who then is the faithful and prudent steward, whom the master will put in charge of his servants to distribute the food allowance at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master on arrival finds doing so. Truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his property. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the men-servants and the maid-servants, to eat and drink and get drunk, then that servant's master will come on an unexpected day and at an unknown hour, and will punish the servant severely and assign him the place with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will but did not make preparations, nor act in accord with his will, shall be beaten severely. And the servant who was ignorant of his master's will but acted in a way deserving of a severe beating, shall be beaten only lightly. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. So our Lord is beginning our passage today with a continuation of what we read yesterday about the master coming back from a wedding, finding his servants either prepared or not prepared, And then he goes into this little bit of a, uh, I guess you could call it a tangent, if the master knew that the thief was coming. And he compares himself to the thief. The son of man will come. And we have to be prepared for that thief. He's coming for our souls. Hopefully it's a loving moment where the author of our souls, who is also the savior of our souls, comes to take our souls to heaven. But still, it's like a thief in the knife. We know not the day nor the hour. But then the Lord, when they're asking him questions about it, he says, who is the faithful and prudent steward? Once again, getting back to this image of the master coming back and the servants who are prepared versus the servants who are not prepared. I always wondered when I read this in the past, why is he getting so specific about who's going to get beaten severely, who's going to get beaten lightly? But as I've read it more and more, I understand it more and more deeply. Our Lord is talking about culpability. We all have culpability for our actions, for our choices, whether we uh, are talking about sin or whether we're talking about responsibility for the gifts we've been given. Sin is the uh, the bare minimum. The bare minimum thing is that we want to avoid sin. We especially want to avoid mortal sin. And if we are conscious of being guilty of mortal sin, we must repent immediately, prepare ourselves for making a good confession, get to confession as soon as we can. But as I talked about before, we let's just say you can't get to confession at this moment. We begin the process of forgiveness by saying, God, I'm sorry. God, help me. God, help me to do better. 
So we begin the process and then ultimately we complete it and we say what's necessary for confession, what's necessary for absolution and for that sacrament to be valid is, well, in the end, it's absolution for it from a priest. That's the form of the sacrament, the words that make it happen. It's more than just words, but that's the, the words and the form go hand in hand. But then there's matter of every sacrament, such as water and baptism, such as bread and wine in the Eucharist. And the matter, hey, what's the matter with you? The matter is the more like physical stuff, the circumstances, etc. So the matter for confession and absolution is we have to have true contrition, be sorry. We have to confess our sins and we have to do penance. So we need to turn from mortal sin as soon as we can, as soon as we are aware of it. We need to turn also from our venial sins, although it's less serious. And the letter, according to St. John, John's first letter does talk about the different types of sin. Some are more serious, causing death. Some are less serious, and they can be taken away with prayer and good works. And we believe a faithful reception of the Eucharist can take away venial sins. So these are things we need to be dedicated to. These are not necessarily issues of culpability, although I do want to talk about culpability with mortal and venial sin, but they're more an issue of severity, severity of the action that was done. And I want to, in this conversation, we need to talk about the criteria for mortal and venial sin. Uh, But also there is this topic of culpability and culpability is part of that criteria. How culpable are we? As our Lord says in the parable, those who did not know. Okay, that affects culpability. Those who were not capable of being prepared. Culpability, though, is always somewhere. (laughs) So if it's not in the person who honestly didn't know what they were doing was seriously sinful, well, then the person that was responsible to teach that person then is more responsible because they did not teach the truth. This is why the the office of teaching in the church, whether we're talking about in a school, whether we're talking about from the pulpit, it's quite a serious task. One must inform one's people placed under them. Also parents. Parents have a huge responsibility for teaching their children right from wrong. Catholic parents have a tremendous responsibility that we try to emphasize all the time to teach their children uh, mortal and venial sin and, and what we need to get to heaven and to avoid hell, the issue of going to church every Sunday. And uh, I would not want to be a Catholic parent who does not raise his or her children in the faith. And yet this is what's happening all the time. They make that promise to God, I will raise my children in the faith. And then they don't do it. They don't bring their kids to mass. They don't teach them right from wrong. They themselves are not living it. So therefore it would be hypocritical for them to teach their kids to go to church and live the faith. What needs to happen is for them to start living it and to take their kids. This is very serious stuff we're talking about here. It's heavy duty. And those in the priesthood wonder sometimes, you know, at what point do we just keep going here, hitting our head against the wall, trying to teach people the right thing? And at what point do we just say, I'm going to shake the dust from my feet and move on to people that really care? such as moving away maybe from a Catholic school situation to a homeschool situation where the people generally are more faithful. 
such as moving away from a Novus Ordo situation to a Latin mass type of a situation. Once again, it's just different group of people, different level of commitment there. And people might be offended by that, but we're seeing the fruits of what we've been doing the past 30, 40, 50 years. We're seeing the fruits, and the fruits are that nobody cares anymore. Nobody goes to church. Nobody's practicing their faith. It's all become a show. It's all become something on the surface. And so, yes, among the younger people, culpability is lacking more and more and more. So therefore, they will not be judged as harshly. But those who are responsible to teach and to pass on the faith will be judged harshly, whether they've done that or not. So when it comes to culpability, I mean, I would make three general categories here. Those that go to hell, and that generally is connected to mortal sin. Those that are in purgatory because they have venial sins on their soul. They have also penance due to their mortal sins on their soul. And then those without sin. Believe it or not, there are people that go straight to heaven. You would think that must be hard to do. I know a lot of my Protestant friends don't believe in purgatory, so they believe it's a direct journey to either heaven or hell. As Catholics, we believe in due to, and I know a lot of Protestants do believe that a purgation of the soul is needed. I just haven't really heard from them exactly what that means and where that's going. Where, where does that purgation take place? As Catholics, we say, yes, there needs to be a 100% purgation before someone can enter into heaven. And so that could possibly happen here on earth through prayer, through penance, through fasting. But if it doesn't, then that's what purgatory is for. That's why the Bible in Maccabees mentions praying for the dead after they're dead. So, and even Jesus makes reference to being thrown in jail until you've paid the last penny. He mentions that, I believe, in two different places, making your, um, your peace with your brother before you offer your gift at the altar. So there's levels of culpability. For mortal sin, there is, well, we say there's three criteria to make a mortal sin a mortal sin. An unrepentant mortal sin is what puts a person in hell. St. John, as I said, calls it the death of the soul. The three criteria for mortal sin are that it has to be something that is considered serious matter that's labeled as such by the Bible and by church teaching. There are a lot of things that are serious matter more than we realize. I hear from people, well, I never killed anybody. And I always say, you know, I want to affirm you in that. I'm so glad you never killed anybody, but that's not the only mortal sin. Missing church on Sunday is a mortal sin. A lie, chosen, you know, thought about, told, is a mortal sin. Sometimes, yeah, things come out of our mouths that we're like, all right, what did I just say? Let me let me backtrack a little bit. But yeah, blasphemy against our Lord, using our Lord's name in vain. Once again, you know, if it's chosen, if it's thought about, if it's said, yes, mortal sin. Uh, harm caused to other people, venting our anger, mortal sin. Sexual sin, mortal sin across the board, whether we're talking about adultery, fornication, pornography, prostitution, masturbation, mortal sin. So these are serious matter, but then there's two other criteria. One is that you know it's serious. So many young people today are never taught that it's a mortal sin to miss mass on Sunday, that sex outside of marriage and even pornography use is a mortal sin. Okay, so those who did not teach them are guilty of those sins. 
Heaven forbid parents giving their phones, giving their kids phones when they're so young without any parental controls and never teaching them not to look at pornography, not to masturbate. The list goes on and on. So we have to know that it's serious for it to be a mortal sin. And then the third thing is full consent of the will. Now, it's interesting in the area of sexual morality, the catechism actually states that sometimes uh, culpability is lacking for sexual sins because of the intensity of the emotion. So that's interesting. Okay, so our Lord, even though in our church, even though things are labeled as serious, there can still be lacking culpability due to emotion, due to woundedness and uh, psychological damage. You know, when we talk about uh, same-sex attraction, okay, we don't believe the attraction is sinful. We do believe it's disordered, though. We believe the actions are sinful. Yet, even though they are considered serious matter, very often culpability could be lacking. That doesn't mean, hey, go do what you want because you're lacking culpability because as soon as you're in that frame of mind to say, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I want and I've thought it all out and this is what I'm choosing. Well, no, now you're entering in the realm of mortal sin because you're reflecting. Another way to say it is sufficient reflection. I think that was like an older way of say it. Full consent of the will, sufficient reflection. They mean the same thing. So, yes, very often culpability is lacking. And that's what Jesus is referring to in the parable. So, Why are people in purgatory? Well, it has a lot to do with venial sin. It has a lot to do with penance done for mortal sin. If I just murdered people, if I I know we go to an extreme saying about talking about murder, but let's just say I'm conscious of mortal sin and I die before I got to confession. But before I died, I said, Lord, I'm so truly sorry with all my heart. We call that perfect contrition, being sorry for the right reasons. Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm going to get to confession as soon as I can. And then we die on the way or something. Okay. We uh, were, were saved from hell because we were able to repent, at least begin the process of repentance for those mortal sins. But that doesn't mean penance is lacking. Let's just say you go to confession, you confess all your sins. Okay. And the priest gives you a penance, say three Hail Marys. Well, the three Hail Marys do not completely transform us and make us, you know, free of all attachment to sin so that we're ready for heaven at that moment. The three Hail Marys are to complete the act of forgiveness of the sin. The sin is no longer there, but we may still have to do penance for our sins. You know, if Adolf Hitler at the end of the Holocaust were to go to confession to a Catholic priest, the priest could say, okay, your penance is one Hail Mary. And that would take away the sins, but it wouldn't take away the penance due to those sins. So therefore, it is part of the duty of the priest to try to assign a penance that is appropriate for the sin. Sometimes they need to be more harsh, and sometimes it is good to just have a less harsh penance, especially if someone is struggling and the priest discerns he needs to be more compassionate with that person. We, uh, we leave that up to the priest to make that judgment, but hopefully they're making a prayerful judgment and not ignoring, you know, the severity of a sin or the lack of severity of a sin. But as I said before, sometimes there's no sin whatsoever, even though evil was done. Like I said, young people are not taught. If a young person is never taught 
missing mass on Sunday is a mortal sin, and this is a problem because it's happening all over the place, well, then those who never taught them are now guilty of those sins. And those sins are going to compound and they're going to build up more and more over time. That person that was honestly never taught, well, there's a lot we can say about that because they're still committing the act of evil of missing mass or whatever the sin is. They're not guilty of a sin, but it still hurts them that they're not going to church. St. Isaac Jogues and some of the others that ministered to the natives said, okay, they're not guilty of X, Y, and Z sin. However, they're still cannibals, some of them. They're still warring and killing each other. They're still worshiping false gods. Therefore, there's still evil being done, and Jesus wants them to be free of that, to live the most fulfilled and and spirit-filled life in this world and in the life to come. So evil is still being done even if a person is not guilty of that particular sin. Therefore, others who choose not to help those people and teach those people, they could be guilty of the sin, depending who's responsible for what, depending on that. But also, as I heard in a talk once given by Father Benedict Groeschel, he said it very well. He said, God always forgives, but Mother Nature does not. Now, maybe Mother Nature is the wrong term for that because it sounds New Age. I know we've always said Mother Nature, but now it's a whole New Age thing, Mother Earth and stuff like that. But another way to say it more simply is God forgives, nature does not. There are so many ways that nature does not forgive. If a person is committing sexual sins and they get an STD, okay, they can go to confession. The sin can be taken away. They can even do penance for the sin. Whether they were culpable or not, you know, still, okay, the sin is gone, but the STD remains. Well, just as that is a good uh, physical description, good biological explanation. It works the same way with, uh, with evil, just the presence of evil in and around and among us. A person may use a Ouija board or tarot cards. They may engage in the occult, and maybe no one ever taught them that was a sin, but still they're opening up their home and maybe their, their own self to, to demons. So the evil is still there. The evil remains. So we still have to preach against the evil. We have to work against the evil. We have to do our best to instruct people about the evil. Correction is still needed, not just in terms of them knowing about these things, but also to purge our lives of sin and evil, even when we weren't maybe in particular guilty of a sin. This is why we say it's gray area for those who never heard of Jesus Christ. uh, You know, what's the state of their souls? It's gray area. It has to remain gray area. Why? Because on the one hand, the positive side or, or like the least negative side is, well, they didn't know any better. So there's culpability lacking. However, on the other side, they're still doing things that bring about great evil that turn their hearts to evil. If someone is raised to be a cannibal, you can't just say, well, they were raised that way and therefore they're going to heaven because they did everything the way they were taught. No, there's something written within the human heart that says thou shalt not kill. Treat others as you would have them treat you. And the more murder of human beings is being done, the more evil is entering into everybody's hearts. The person perpetrating it, the person that wants revenge for it, 
And this is why Jesus needs to be preached everywhere. His name needs to be said everywhere. This is why the sacraments need to be everywhere and sacramentals and just whatever we can do to expel the evil one and bring in God's grace. So anyway, yes, we have this parable and there's different types of beating and Jesus is referring to the different types of punishment. Where should we be in all this in followers of Jesus Christ? Well, we should strive to learn. Remember the three criteria for mortal sin. We should strive to learn right from wrong so that we can be sure we are doing our best. Then we need to inform our consciences so that we can do our best, form our consciences, grow as men and women in virtue. The other day we talked about virtue and we listed virtues. Growing in virtue. So there's less and less worry about culpability because we are formed more and more and more to do the right thing, to be in the right place. Very often still, we're performing evil acts, even when, and this is what what happens to so many Catholics, they go to confession over and over again and confess the same sin over and over again, and the priest just gives them the same penance over and over again. And while, on the one hand, I don't discourage that because you get grace in the sacrament, but on the other hand, there could be a psychological issue why that person can't break free, and maybe they need a therapist, maybe they need the 12 steps. And so that's also something for those who say, oh, you don't need therapy. You should just pray. I've heard this from so many Catholics just denying the human sciences. Well, guess what? If evil acts are still being committed, then we need sometimes the human sciences to accompany the spiritual life. Sometimes we need therapy. Sometimes we need better biology. We need healing, you know, help from doctors, medicines, things like that to help us to take away the the things that cause us to lack culpability just because we're lacking culpability doesn't give us a freebie somebody that's an alcoholic they don't get a freebie because oh i'm in my addiction therefore it doesn't matter what i do no i mean culpability could be lacking because you're addicted in those individual acts but you now have a moral obligation to get yourself to those 12-step meetings or whatever it is that will help you to break free of that addiction because the evil is still being perpetrated. So, ladies and gentlemen, as we go forward, let's continue to pray for each other that we will grow in virtue, but also grow in the courage to keep talking about these things and not be afraid of the world around us that wants to call good bad and bad good, that wants to, you know, Call us all sorts of names that we're using hate speech because we talk about right from wrong to uh, to try to cancel us because we still uphold the Ten Commandments and the teachings of Jesus Christ and his church. So we ask the Lord to give us that grace today that we will know his law, that we will follow it with all our hearts, that we will continue to be informed in our minds, but also in our souls, in our emotions, in our choices, in our actions. Have a great day. God bless you.